You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. have such a beautiful presence. You're so able to just bring the audience together. But I want to talk about your journey. You started off as a coach and then a business owner and now what our industry calls as a thought leader, right? Someone who speaks on stages, hosts a podcast, writes books. Did you always see yourself going on this path, you know, to be someone that people really look up to and admire and respect and want to learn from? Did you see yourself going down this path of coach and then, you know, here you are building this public presence? Like, was this part of the plan for you? So my intention to to do what I do is always in connection to how it relates to my values. Mm -hmm. So one of my values, one of my top four values is service. Mm -hmm. And service is an act of contribution. Service Mm -hmm. is, and it doesn't have to be through only work in anywhere in life, is can I contribute to humanity overall, to another person, to another being, in any way I can, mm-hmm. if I can, mm-hmm. right? So when I started coaching, the intention was the same. I feel a sense of joy when I'm able to contribute to somebody or to something that is important in the world outside or feels important to me in the world outside. And so that's why I became a coach. Mm -hmm. Then I started operating more from a place of business ownership because I realized there's only that much a person can do. Mm -hmm. Like I can coach a person, I can coach a company, Mm -hmm. and yes, your impact is still manifold, but there is a ceiling to it. So I said, what is my real genius? What is it that I'm really, really good at? And while, yes, I'm great as a coach and Mm -hmm. somebody who can have a conversation that would draw things out and help somebody change their life, I'm also really good at being able to see different pieces that bring something together. Mm-hmm. I am also somebody who I've been told a very good leader or mm-hmm. a great leader in many ways. I am also somebody who looks at business in a slightly different light. I don't see it as an act of strategy. I see it as an act of being uh, or a beingness to it. And so it a different kind of a person resonates with me versus a person who's just looking for the next hack. Right. That's not an ideal person for me. Or they wouldn't love me as much as somebody who would be like, oh, my business is an expression of me. Mm-hmm. And that's where I really land as a coach, as a partner. Mm-hmm. And so as an entrepreneur, I realized, hey, I don't want to contain or limit what I can do just because of certain number of companies I can coach or certain number of people I can coach. And also because I love my lifestyle where I work only a few hours every week. I have time with my kids, I have time with my wife, I have time with my parents, I have time Mm -hmm. with my friends, Mm -hmm. I have time to travel, all the things I want to still do while being of service, Mm -hmm. right? So that brought my attention to saying, well, if I partner with the right people that have the same intentions as me, I can impact even more people. And that was the journey of, taking what I'm really good at, that I was only translating in a one-on-one business setting or mm-hmm. one-to-team business setting mm-hmm. and saying, what if this becomes a partnership because now I am a part of a larger outcome, mm-hmm. right? I can truly impact a lot more people. And that became uh, expressions like Evercoach, expressions like other coaching businesses that I have or coaching partnerships that I have, partnerships that we have with Mindvalley. They all became that expression because that's the entrepreneur in me saying, I have unique skills and capabilities that can add tremendous amount of value because of how I think, how I operate, what my value system is, is very unique. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like everybody says, right? Mm -hmm. But I was just able to tap into that. And then coincidentally, what happened because of that is when you become an entrepreneur, when you become a coach, is that you have access to a lot of insight Mm -hmm. and information as well. And information sometimes leads to insight, sometimes insight leads to information. And so it became a conversation. So podcast was birthed out of that. First, it was the YouTube channel that we started, Dev Coach. That was the first thing that birthed out mm-hmm. of it. It was like, you have so much insight, so much information. You're not always trying to say, hey, how I can draw some cash out of a person. I want right. to be able to be of service.
service. And a great way to do that is any of the social channels, including YouTube, mm -hmm. including Apple podcasting platform or Spotify mm -hmm. podcasting platform or Instagram, mm -hmm. depending on the modality that you use. So, so it was like, okay, how do I express that and be able to help people even when they pay me a dollar before that, right? So again, mm -hmm. it's an expression further into service. Mm -hmm. It's to say, okay, let's do that. And that's where YouTube started. Then I also enjoy a lot of conversations. And that's really what I do is what I find interesting all the time. So I said, let's do that. One of the asks that the community said is, everybody has interviews, but mm -hmm. nobody really shows us behind the scenes mm -hmm. of how you would coach. And so we said, okay, let's show people exactly how I would coach at least from my reality, even if I didn't know the person. So literally what we do is every single week or every other week, we post a episode where they're just listening into a coaching conversation that I've had with someone, which is recorded specifically for the purpose of the podcast. So I don't know the person. I don't know what they're going to come up with as a problem. I just use the methodologies that I teach in Certified Life Coach or Certified Business Coach, which are our two certifications, to be able to help somebody through life or business challenges that they may bring. Even health challenges, because all health coaching is also is life coaching, really. The behavioral change is all life coaching. So, so it's basically that's what we did there. We said, okay, let's demonstrate that to, to more and more people. And that, of course, led to as more and more people listen to your narrative and your dialogue, more and more people get interested in saying, wow, that would be great to have on our stage. Like, Mm -hmm. if there is no conflict and I don't bring conflict to anybody's stage anyway. So it's basically individuals saying, hey, we'd love for you to talk about, you know, how you deal with fear on our stage or what are the different ways of really getting self-aware. These are the usual master talks or the signature talks that people ask me to present is either around uh, fear and courage mm -hmm. or around uh, different levels of self-awareness mm -hmm. and different dimensions of self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's one of those popular terms that, we all know, but we don't really. We yeah. don't really diagnose it. We don't really try to understand what it means. Mm -hmm. And so that's where that whole conversation started. And I enjoy doing it. So that's really where that is. It's not a business strategy. It's actually probably the lowest return on my time mm -hmm. is to speak at somebody's stage or do a podcast because uh, the amount of work and the amount of value we are able to generate just through our platforms is far greater than most platforms. But it's something that adds to the world and values the world. So it's great. I want to point back to the fact that you speaking on stages and your journey going from coach to business owner to speaking on stage all goes back to your core values, which I know you talk about all the time are your core values. You have four of them. And so I want to speak to the person who really has a desire to speak on stage and who wants to be able to impact more people because you know this one-on-one, -on -one, You, I mean, that's, that's one on one, right? But if you can take that and spread that, you can take that and impact more people. It all sounds fine and dandy until we actually have to do it, right? And so what were the mindset blocks that you've had on this journey? And how did you coach yourself through them? Like from, from going from the safety of one-on-one -on -one and, mm -hmm. you know, no one really seeing you to then, oh, wait, I'm going to write a book and like people are going to see how I think to, oh my God, I'm going to be on stage and people are seeing me and watching me. Was it as easy as, okay, I'm going to do this because this is one of my core values service? Or did you have your own blocks that you had to work through? So I had my own blocks. And to be very honest, I was a terrible speaker when I started. And I want to share that with everyone Please. because people think that, oh, you just got on stage right. and it was great. That's not true. I was called on some stages because of my background and the success I was having. And so I presented on some stages. And a lot of the people that do good events mm -hmm. tend to always get some feedback from the audience. And I specifically remember there was a particular event I spoke at and I was the third lowest rated speaker. Mm. So, you know, if there are 10 speakers, I was seventh on that as the as one of the terrible person that spoke and didn't resonate with the audience. People didn't love it. And, you know, that type of stuff. And I was the main stage speaker. I wasn't a small stage speaker. And that made me realize that while you may have the intention to present, it is also like anything else, a skill that you have to build. You can't just say, oh, I was great in one-on-one, I'll be great on stage. It's right. not the same skill, it's a different skill. And so I said, okay, if I think this is meaningful to me and this is interesting and exciting and it gives me joy when I'm able to do that, I need to get better at it. And so the first thing that I did is I engaged a couple of coaches uh, that would show me about storytelling, about mm -hmm. how to make presentations, what really gets people's attention. And then I also spoke to a very dear friend of mine. Her name is Lisa Nichols, who's mm -hmm. an amazing presenter on stage. She's an amazing storyteller. And she gave me this concept of saying, there are different types of speakers. Right. I, and she saw me on stage one time and she said, you're not a bad speaker, you're a content speaker. What that means is you go on stage and you just blast people with content. <laughs> 
right? You just tell people, I'll do step one through seven. That doesn't make you bad. It makes it hard for people to resonate because at the end of that presentation, people go, you are smart, right? right? So yes, they walk away going, Ajit's really smart, but it doesn't help them because they didn't feel they're smart. They didn't feel they can mm-hmm. do it. They didn't feel like it didn't land for them in a yeah. way where they can actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. All they go walking away from it is, wow, that guy is a genius. Great, good for you, <laughs> right? But it's not helping your tribe. So nothing wrong with being a content speaker if you were in an office and you were making a presentation because there you're not trying to connect with the audience. You're trying to just give them a strategy that they need to deploy. So it's okay mm-hmm. if you are a content speaker, you just need to understand that's not a main stage speaker because you need to connect with the audience if you are a main stage speaker. Do you think that you became a content speaker or your natural tendency was to give a lot of this content because you wanted your audience to think that you were smart? Was there a part of you, like maybe in your own mindset that maybe was a little bit scared and and the way that you overcame that was like, let me show my audience how smart I am. I mean, I don't think you consciously did that, but do you think that was part of what was driving you to, to blast people with content rather than having them connect with you? It's very possible now that you say it. I haven't thought about it that yeah. way. It's very possible that mm-hmm. that's what I was doing because I was starting out. So I wanted to be... Right. Smart. I mm-hmm. wanted to be somebody that go, wow, this guy is great, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very possible that I was operating from that place. I, what I was conscious and aware of as I was talking to Lisa and I was talking to other coaches as well, is they said, what you're really doing is you're overwhelming your audience because you're trying to jam a lot of things into a short presentation. You have 30 minutes and you're trying to do too much in 30 minutes. If you get one really good idea through in those 30 minutes, you've landed a lot more impact with the person, but because you feel like you're not good enough, you feel like adding more content mm-hmm. to it will at least drive you know, some kind of output to the person, but it's actually making it worse for them. It may feel to you, oh, look how much I gave. Mm-hmm. But to them, it was like, it was gibberish after a point because they couldn't even take the first point while you were on point number seven. Right. Right. So they said, it works in some scenarios. If you are doing a business presentation, it works because there people are actively looking for tactics. And so you're going, okay, these are the seven tactics. They will take that out. They will use what they need to. So it does work in some settings. It's not that if you're a content speaker, you're a bad speaker. It's just the scenario of if you're trying to speak to a large audience, you cannot jam too many ideas because you're not talking to the few that are really listening. You're talking to the person also who's not necessarily focused, who's tired, who's kind of a little grumpy, maybe hungry, depending on what time you're going on, maybe a little sleepy if you're going right after lunch. So you're speaking to all of them. And so your knowledge gap to them cannot be this big, right? Mm -hmm. You can do that in a small contained audience. If you're talking to 20 people, 30 people, because you can really connect with each person, you can go heavy on content, that's okay. But if you're talking to 500 people, you can't just like download a big uh, load of just, you know, Mm -hmm. content on them and expect that, oh, wow, everybody would have got it. They don't. They Mm -hmm. don't get it. You're overwhelming them. You're boring them. And they are not interested in your talk. And that's why I was getting graded really, really bad. And that is a tendency I've seen coaches and people do generally. Mm -hmm. I was speaking to a friend yesterday. I was helping her out in designing her vision in a way because she was going to make a presentation to a few investors. And she had this big vision of creating something. And it was big and magnificent. And she had five minutes to present. All right. So Mm -hmm. I was like, if you do this big vision in five minutes, where they can't, because it was one of those esoteric concepts, it's mm-hmm. not like a simple concept, mm-hmm. like A plus B equals to C. No, it's like complicated, esoteric approach to certain things in life without giving too much away. And I was like, if you try to present this, they're not going to get it because it's really big vision. If you have only five minutes, if you have mm-hmm. more time, maybe yes. What they will get is a story of how you went from point A to point B or point A to point C. And that story will probably stick a lot more with them and maybe one piece of this big vision, Mm -hmm. right? Take one Mm -hmm. of the ideas that will start the journey instead of getting them to invest in this big thing in five minutes, try to get them to invest in this thing in five minutes. Because if you can get that, you can open a conversation for a bigger right. conversation. And then you can say, let's sit 20 minutes. Let's do Q&A. Let me really present what the whole idea is about. And you have a bigger opportunity of actually getting through that. Because now you have full attention. You have 20 minutes with them. Mm-hmm. You actually can do justice to your vision. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that happens in life. Like as an entrepreneur, it can happen to you. It's a, as a business owner, it can happen to you. As a leader, it can happen to you. Where you would jam too much because you feel not good enough within yourself and you feel like the only way I can justify somebody's time, attention, energy or acceptance which is what you want as a speaker you want to want the audience to be like I loved listening to this person 
you want their acceptance. And so you jam so much because you feel like you as a speaker is not good enough or one of your points is not good enough. Right. Right. So that's something that we have to actively go. There is the talk and that might be a bucket load of things. And then you take away stuff from it. You say, okay, what is the act of editing of a talk, Mm -hmm. which makes it tight and succinct and something that a person can go, oh, that landed. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was early stage, early stage where I became a little bit better as a speaker because Mm -hmm. I started taking things out of my talk. Even if I knew like it's kind of incomplete in some way for me, Mm -hmm. I was like, no, but this kind of is what will actually land. Mm -hmm. That would actually resonate, will do something for the person. And that was version 2.0 as a speaker. Then I learned the ultimate thing. And the ultimate thing to me is a speaker is great because they're themselves. Thank you for saying that. Yes. And I think that's a really difficult thing to do when you're speaking in front of a lot of people. Because if you've ever in your life felt not loved, if you've felt in your life that you didn't land a conversation, if somebody didn't like really love and accept you the way you are, mm-hmm. you think 500 people, definitely most of them will not love and accept right. the way you are, <laughs> yeah. right? So because you're like, there's no you're way. You're expecting not to be loved. You're just expecting yeah. it. Yeah, You're expecting it. Instead of saying that if I have somehow had the opportunity to be in front of these people, there's something loving about me. There's mm-hmm. something that is inherent to me that... The universe said, you should be on that stage. Mm-hmm. 20 people, 200 people, 2,000 people, it doesn't matter. But something was true and present and lovable enough that the universe said, you're ready to be in front of this audience, right? And once you accept that reality, what happens is all the baggage of I need to be accepted by the audience goes away. What you really lean in with then is what is my honest, most beautiful version, my most available version that I can present, I will present. But the version I understand of myself, of who I am, how can I be all of that in front of my audience? Mm -hmm. And once you do that, what I found, at least for me, is my storytelling got better. Because I didn't try to rush a story. I didn't try to impress somebody with a story. When I was telling a story, I was just telling the story how I would tell anyone, Mm -hmm. like to a friend. It would have the pause. It would have the break. It will have me laughing at my own jokes. It would have all the stupidities that a person would do in a regular Mm one-on-one conversation. And then what I realized as I was being more of myself is I also started bringing things into my talks that otherwise would not be the case. Like, for example, I would tell funny stories in the Mm -hmm. middle of my talk or I would add humor to my talk. Otherwise, I was trying to be like the right guy, right? So I was like, yeah, here is what Mm -hmm. you do. Step one through five and there is no jokes and we are serious and life is very serious and we must talk about this, you know, like else you're going to die. But that's not like, then I said, no, that's not, that's not Mm -hmm. how I am when I'm talking to a friend. It's silly, stupid. At the same time, it's important. It's not, importance is not deteriorated by humor. It's actually Mm -hmm. probably elevated by it. So humor started to add in. Then I said, well, I'm naturally someone, if you come to my house and you've been to my kids dance, I dance, Mm -hmm. my wife dances, we love dancing, we Mm -hmm. like music, it's loud in our house. (laughs) So I was like, hey, that's what we do in our house. So when you are coming to my talk, you're coming to my house's party, Mm. right? So there's dance in my Mm -hmm. events now. There is karaoke in my events right now. There is very specific rituals that we all do. There are these bands that we wear, which are instead of giving you those uh, plastic bands, we give you these. It's like, Mm -hmm. hey, listen, I'm an intentional person. Everything in my life is an intention. So my intention is on my wrist and you will get the same when you walk through Mm -hmm. my door. Mm -hmm. And so it's, Basically coming to a really big house party, especially my own events. When I'm speaking at somebody else's events, of course, I can't do all of it. I would do some of it. But if you're coming to one of my events, it's a big party. It's basically how you would be if you met me as a person, Mm -hmm. just on a scale of if there were 100 people meeting me at the same Mm -hmm. time or 500 people meeting me at the same time or 1,000 people meeting me at the same time, depending on which event we are doing, it would be the same. There's no difference. There's absolutely zero difference. So if I would be funny, you you will see me funny. If you will see me fumble at my house, you will see me fumble on stage. If you would uh, see me being, uh, you know, uh, you know, dancing, then you will see me dancing at house. So you're literally coming to the honest version of me, yeah, and not a version that I put up as a person on stage. Which is why this is the greatest compliment I got at all of my recent events that I've spoken to is once I would get off stage and people would meet me in person, they were like, you know what we love about you is how you were up there is exactly how you're down here. Yeah. 
Like there is no like, oh, that was your stage persona and now you're a completely different asshole. Mm -hmm. You're not. You're exactly like that. You seem like a humble, gentle guy who doesn't take himself too seriously, who is being as honest as he possibly can be, has great mindset, doubts himself. All of that shit that we see on stage mm -hmm. is exactly how we see you here right now. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. Don't change that. Right. And so I actually have told some of my students, like, remember, you told me this right now. If I ever change, now it's your responsibility to tell me and remind me, dude, mm. you changed. Don't change. Yeah. Don't become two different persons. And that was a good reminder. Like, I have actually agents in my community that will come and tell me, dude, you changed. So yeah. I'm happy about that because, you know, sometimes you can get in your head and you can change. But I don't want to do that. I think it's this power. And I think that's what I think great speakers are. Great speakers are just, you know, mm -hmm. authentic. I know it's very commonly thrown around word. But really, that's what it is. I always see it as like, and I agree with you, the greatest compliment that someone can give me, like if I see someone out in Austin and they're like, oh my God, I follow your Instagram. And I'm like, oh my God, hey, like I talked the way I would with anyone. And it's like, that's the greatest compliment is that, and also it's not even the greatest compliment. It gives you a lot of inner freedom to just be one person, right? Like ultimately it's about you get to now impact even more people because you're no longer concerned about, do you accept me? Do you think I'm smart? And the greatest medicine that you can give your audience is to show up and just be completely you. Yeah. So how do you prep now before you get on stage? Like, I don't know the largest audience you've ever spoken in front of. How many people? Like, what's the largest? Um, I think largest was 1,000. Wow. Okay, yeah. so... It doesn't matter. The yeah, a thousand. thousand yeah. The so, so regardless whether it's a small audience or a big audience, how do you self-coach yourself now? Like literally like a few days leading up to this event. What is the mindset? What is the self-talk that you're telling yourself to prep yourself? Because we are human. And even though you know, like, I don't need anyone's acceptance. I just want to be myself. Thoughts can still creep in because we, you know, we get scared. What do you tell yourself? So how I coach myself is the same way how we teach coaching and self-coaching mm -hmm. to anyone is there is the understanding of the present moment, which is mm -hmm. the first step is to, or not really the first step, but the first thing that you want to be aware of is that the only moment that is important is the moment that is now. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no reason for you to believe that your talk was shitty yesterday, it was mm -hmm. going to be shitty today, or you don't have to fear or oh, what would a thousand person sitting in the back or think about me when I say these things. Mm -hmm. If you can eliminate all of that and be like, I I'm here, I'm in this moment, and I want to fully be present to the moment of mm -hmm. what is happening, you will find there is a great amount of power in your prep and in your delivery. Mm -hmm. Because you're not concerned about what happened or what can happen. You're only concerned about what is happening. Mm -hmm. This also makes you a powerful speaker because when you're on stage, often you'll realize like some things don't work with the audience. Different audiences are different. Mm -hmm. The relationship with you or your relationship with them is different sometimes. And because of that, you need to adapt. And there is no way you can adapt if you're not present to what's actually happening. If you have this rehearsed talk that you're going to just repeat like a parrot, well, then that talk's not going to land as powerfully mm -hmm. as a talk that listens to what's actually happening in the moment is kind of leaning into that energy and saying, oh, I think this is where we're falling. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Like, let's create mm -hmm. some movement. It feels like the energy is off a little bit. Or even when I get on stage, sometimes I go, oh, the previous speaker just killed the room. Mm -hmm. Like, because they were just, you know, doing that content thing and people are like, holy shit, I need a coffee before I listen mm -hmm. to the next guy. Mm -hmm. So if you cannot give a coffee break, you got to be the coffee. Right. right? <laughs> so you got to create that energy yep. to go, okay, let's bring this energy so we can have kind of a reset before, you know, I go actually deliver my talk. So I have people in the presence. So that, all of that you cannot do as prep. Mm -hmm. You have to be present to the moment. So presence is the first key, is to really recognize this is the moment and mm -hmm. be in that moment. And the second is to organize your mind in a way where you're not challenged by, and that's I think is one of the keys, is the size of audience can be 10 or 1,000. The fear is the same. The magnitude yeah. might be different, but the fear is the same, right? I will not be loved. I will not be accepted. They won't get my point. They won't laugh at my joke. Whatever the thing is, mm -hmm. right? It's like, you know, whatever that is, the fear is same. The magnitude changes. And that's true for anybody who's a speaker. They have the same fear that they had when they started. It's not different as a fear. It shows up different and they have a process that is different mm -hmm. to get over that fear, right? Mm -hmm. But the fear is fear. Like any great performer has fear before they go on stage, right? And that's what makes them a great performer because they're not taking it for granted. They don't take their audience for granted. They know they have to show up with a thousand percent like they did in the first show. 
My father always said, if you're not scared before you get on stage, something's wrong. My father said, like, you need to have just a little bit. It means you care. It yeah. means that you care. So, and I want to say this to anyone who has a dream of becoming a speaker and want to become a better speaker. And I want to piggyback off of what you said, that the fear is the same. So I've been asked to speak in front of a few groups. I have one that's 150. I have a group that's 12. The fear is exactly the same. Yeah. For me, my limiting belief, I don't want to call it a limiting belief because it's not limiting me, but the, the belief that I have is I'm not going to make sense. You're mm. not going to understand me. This is not going to land. And it's not so much a, am I smart enough? I have some of that, but it's like, what I'm saying is not going to make sense. I know where that comes from. I know where in my childhood it comes from, blah, 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 blah. What I do the minute I start to feel that, because then it starts to take over, it starts to clog my creative channel. I say, okay, we're going to address this tomorrow. And then I'll put aside time on my calendar where I'll actually map out what are the things that I want my audience to know. I'll brain dump everything. Then I'll come back a few hours later and then I'll sift through it and I'll be like, what's actually relevant for this audience? I wanted to share this because when people have this fear, they immediately shut down. And it's like, no, you don't need to shut down. What Just acknowledge that you're scared. Like, first thing is like, oh, I'm scared. You know, I'm scared. I feel this way. What's showing up? And then when you actually sit down to prepare, whether that's brainstorming, brain dumping, mapping out, and then you start to practice, practice whatever that looks like for you, and also really look at what's coming up for you and what are some of the things that are getting in the way from you being present, I think ultimately you will get on stage and really be a powerful speaker who can be that caffeine for your audience, right? But it is a process. So for you, do you prep a lot? Do you practice a lot before you get on stage? Like, what's your process? No, I don't prep a lot. So before I get into the prep part of things, the first thing that I would say is right before the organizing your mind part is to understand what is it that is, like you said, is what is it that's coming up for you? Mm -hmm. What is it that you're really fearing? What is it that is the concern? What is it that you feel like will happen mm -hmm. or think will happen? Mm -hmm. And then to choose a more productive thought or a more empowered thought in that moment to say, okay, what is it that actually helps me being a better presenter? Mm -hmm. If I feel that this audience is not going to resonate with me or if I feel that I'm going to do my best right? Yeah. What is the thought that I'm going to choose? I'm going to do my best. Right. And that's all I can do. That's all anybody can do, mm -hmm. really, is to do our best. We tell this to our kids all the time, but we but we forget as human beings that we tell our kids, just do your best. But then when we show up in our life, we go, oh, but I must also get results for doing my best. And yeah. we're like, no, you just do your best. And then you wish, you hope, you you wonder if it will create the results mm -hmm. that you really wanted to create. But the only thing that you can be responsible for is the act of showing up in the most powerful, best version of yourself. And if you can change that mindset, if you can present from that mindset, you already have won 50% of the game because you're not concerned about the result. You're more concerned about the process. And the process itself is beautiful, mm -hmm. right? Because when you present to 5% or you just uh, present to 50 or to 500 just the joy of giving from a place of just absolute love and kindness where you connect with someone is just a beautiful, joyful experience. So everybody should become a speaker at some point in their mm -hmm. life in my personal vision of life. Yes. And then I think there are certain things that one must do, which leans into bioengineering, is that you must know what your body is going to need mm -hmm. before you go on stage. So it's very specific things that my body needs. I'm not saying this is true for everyone. So there's a very specific coffee that I drink. It's called Strong Coffee. Mm -hmm. It's called Strong Coffee Company. It's like an American thing, so it's not available globally. But it's basically a powdered coffee, mm -hmm. which gives you about 120 milligrams of caffeine. Mm -hmm. But it has MCT oil and it has some uh, collagen protein mm -hmm. in it. So what it does for me is if I can have that coffee, not right before I go on stage, right in the morning, what it does is give me sustained energy through the entire day. And so that's one thing that I would do. Like, for example, before our podcast, that's the cup of coffee that I would drink starting on my day, like at 9.30 in the morning, 9, mm -hmm. 9.30 in the morning, because that's what is I know will give me sustained energy in the day. Second thing that I know that will give me sustained energy in my day is if I could find a moment of presence, just a moment of just calming down and knowing that I'm, I'm good here, right? Mm -hmm. The third thing that I need is the right kind of music that mm -hmm. triggers the right kind of emotion. The music that I like is a song called Feeling Good. Mm -hmm. uh, but I like the remix version of mm -hmm. it right now. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because it, the essence of that music or that song is that life's good. You know, yeah. just enjoy what is. Like, what is is beautiful. Like, it so feels good if you lean into just the nature of life. And so it puts me in that state. But I like the remix version because it also amps up your energy. The original version is a little bit uh, slow. So I love that before my coaching sessions. It's yeah. perfect because I want to calm my nervous system down. But before I'm going on stage, 
because I am now going to expand my energy into a hundred people or a thousand people. I need to build my energy up. I can't be like, okay, let's go calm. I can't do that. Right. I need to be up. Or at least that's what I feel I want to be. So that's one more thing that would happen ritualistically. That's another thing that would happen. So you want to find your biomarkers. You want to find what is it that really triggers you. Like, for example, I shouldn't eat Same. before I go on stage. Mm -hmm. Like, absolutely not. Even if I'm going later on stage, usually I would eat lunch after. Mm -hmm. uh, because most events end by five. And I can easily fast till that time. Mm -hmm. I might have a little uh, nibble somewhere in the middle, but not a full meal. Because I know that takes away energy from me or I feel like it takes away energy from me, especially when I'm going on stage mm -hmm. because I'm going to give a thousand percent. I'm not just coming in to do work. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, a thousand percent times more. At least that's how I feel. Yeah. I'm more energized. Mm -hmm. So I look for those biomarkers and I, everybody has some mm -hmm. to be able to kind of tune into and find out what's true for them, what habits are true for them, what models are true for them that will give them the most energized version of themselves. And lastly is I take one second to kind of lean into universe to guide me. Right. So I don't practice my talks a lot. I do practice a little bit but I wouldn't go, oh, I'm going to do a day-long prep to do a talk. And I still deliver as beautifully the reason is twofold. One, because I really know my content. So I'm not preparing the talk for content. I know exactly what the content is. I've taught it enough times that mm -hmm. I'm like, it's second nature right. to me. I don't even need slides. Slides can be turned off and I can still do my talk. I use them for visual cue for my audience, but I don't need them. What I'm really leaning into is how can I tell the story more contextually? And that's really what I'm practicing if I'm practicing or prepping contextually to the group that I'm about to talk to. Yeah. Right? Because let's say if I have a story around um, scuba diving, that may not resonate with somebody which are, let's say, a group of accountants. I'm not saying it yeah. would not, but I might say, okay, if I'm talking to accountants, I have an accounting story that kind mm -hmm. of relates a little bit better. If I have a better story, if not, I will mm -hmm. use the story that I have. So those are the things that I might prep a little mm -hmm. bit to kind of just make sure that I've got the in right. Mm -hmm. But after that, it's free flow. And then I'm again connecting to the audience. My talks are not just me talking. It's me getting people to say things, mm -hmm. getting people to engage, making fun of the crowd, making fun of myself. So it's like, it's very... Interactive. Very interactive and playful. So it's like, I'm, I'm always joking around a little bit. So it's, it's kind of chill, yeah. I love that all the tips that you shared to prep yourself have like, not a lot to do with the actual talk itself. Yeah. It's so much more about you and your presence and how you show up on stage. And I also really love that distinction. And I think this is where people really, you know, you do need to be in touch with your body. Like when you're on a coaching call, you know you want to be in a calmer state, right? Because you're holding space for this client, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're on stage, that is not the time to be calm unless you're like leading a meditation, right? You are here to be the hype man. You are here to, you know, inject people with that strength, courage, and hope. We don't need you calm. We need mm -hmm. you excited so you can infuse that life. So just like, that's really important that you're sharing there is different music for different things. There is a different type of drink that you may drink, but this is really about getting to know yourself. And this is really why, you know, Having that self-awareness, which you all really preach and teach inside Evercoach, is so important for anyone who wants to go from coach to business owner to thought leader. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I'd love to hear what are your biggest lessons from this journey? Like, what is one thing you wish you would have known before you first got on stage? Like, if there was anything. I think I knew it, but I couldn't do it. It, which was because I had I had taken enough courses and talked to enough coaches that I knew that eventually it comes down to you being authentic. Mm -hmm. But knowing it intellectually and being authentic is two completely different things. And that's mm -hmm. what most of us are stuck with, if you really think about it. Well, all of us understand we need to be authentic. Mm -hmm. We just can't be. Mm -hmm. Because there's a journey that needs to be had of acceptance, mm -hmm. of forgiveness, of connecting to who you truly are, accepting who you truly are, forgiving for the parts of you that you feel are not, you know, you don't like, doing mm -hmm. the shadow work if mm -hmm. that's needed. It's many layers of that that needs to happen and you don't have to rush it. I am no Lisa Nichols still. Like Lisa comes on stage, it's like fucking I'm crying yeah, and you're sobbing and you're out. laughing. Yes. Yes. It's a bloody... It's a mess. Like, it's we a are mess. a mess. We yeah, are a hot it's mess. Hot mess, but it's the most beautiful yeah. hot mess you could have. So I am not Lisa Nichols and I am Ajit. So I don't have to yeah. be Lisa Nichols either. But my storytelling is not at her level is what I'm really trying to say, right? Mm -hmm. And one day maybe it will be, maybe it won't be because there is a level. Mm -hmm. We are all having a journey. We are all having an experience. I don't have to rush to get to storytelling like Lisa Nichols or not be on a stage until I am like Lisa yeah. Nichols because of some flawed understanding of what mm -hmm. really is a person or not. You're discovering yourself and you go, oh, this version of me comes in with this music. 
mm-hmm. does this presentation and really leans into this area, mm-hmm. right? Another version of me is another, like if you see me a year from now, it'll be a different version. A year from then would be a different version. And that's the part, that's the fun part of it. If you're the same speaker that you were three years ago, what's the fun of being a speaker, yeah. right? You're just repeating yourself in different f- platforms and that's all it is. Mm-hmm. That's not fun and exciting. You probably get bored out of your own mind mm-hmm. talking about the same talk in the same way for the hundredth time. Mm-hmm. So I would invite us to say, hey, it doesn't matter. You don't have to nail like, I now know what version of me is there, how to unlock mm-hmm. it, what's the practices for it and what I have to accept and what I don't have to accept and blah, 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 all mm-hmm. of that stuff. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The thing that you need to know is eventually it all boils down to you understanding that you're an incredibly likable person if you can be yourself and not a reflection of other people's projection of you, Mm -hmm. which is what most of us tend to be on a day-to-day basis. And the faster you unlearn that and accept that, the easier it will be for you to be the version that you truly are. And that makes you better everywhere in life. You're Mm -hmm. a better partner, you're a better parent, you're a better speaker, you're a better author, you're a better communicator, better coach, better everything. Mm -hmm. Because you're not finding another version of you that, and I know some people kind of teach these as tricks. Oh, you know, put on a mask and now you are the presenter version of you. Mm -hmm. And then you tap into the non-presenter version of you. I I get it, but I don't know why they hate one version of them that they can't present it. I'm like, no, all versions of you is very presentable. Mm -hmm. It needs to expand. It needs to know the techniques because these are skills. These are not, uh, there's identity Mm -hmm. and identity is always lovable. Like it's just, we think, oh, that's not a lovable personality. All identities, all personalities of look at celebrities, people who got famous, none of them look like the other guy or the other girl, no. right? They all look different. They all act different. Their music is different if you like music, mm-hmm. right? I mean, who would have thought Billie Eilish will be popular? Yeah, I mean, but she's... I mean, she's, she's, when I first listened to Billie Eilish, I was like, she just sounds really sad. Yeah, but people love the emo. People, people love, love it. People, people love Billie Eilish. But also, right? I thought the only people who were successful are people like Lady Gaga. But no. it is a completely different vibe to oh, Billy Allen. It's a completely different vibe to Adele. So who tells you that your identity is not lovable? Every identity is lovable. Do you get to lean into it? Do you expand into it? Do you really go all into who your identity is? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, you will find that a lot of people love you. And that's like, there is no reason for you to assume a different identity because you're on stage and because you're coaching and because you're with your parents. No, you're the same person. It also takes away all that pressure of changing yourself every time. So, you know, you have a lot of people in your life who have guided you. I know you're really close friends with Vision, you know, and I would love to know what has your relationship with him taught you about showing up publicly? So what I love about Vision is that he is an ever-evolving human being. Yeah. He doesn't have any concern if somebody thinks less or more of him, right? He just simply knows that he is a human being and he's evolving with time. And some version of him may not be acceptable to some people and then some version of mm-hmm. him eventually is acceptable to people. I, again, at least to me, it doesn't look like that he concerns himself with it. He just simply says, hey, I'm an evolving version. I'm going to continue to evolve. I'm going to continue to find the next version of myself, which is what I love about him. Mm-hmm. It's like he's not trying to be anything to impress you. He's just trying to be a better version of for himself. For himself. Yeah, for he's himself. just doing it for himself. Like, yeah. hey, this is the challenge. I want to get over it. I'm working on my mindset around it. Yep. And he's honestly working on it, right? It's not like he tells it. You meet him six months later, he's worked on it. Like yeah. it really is. Like he's like, you would go and you would go actively the same conversation and his belief is different because he actively works on it. So he's not just somebody who talks about personal growth. He really believes in it. He actually practices it uh, mm-hmm. a lot. Even today, like he's not somebody who would tell you I'm the perfect being. He will say, no, I'm working. I'm working on, these are my current things that I'm working on. I'm rating myself really high on these things, but here are the things that I'm struggling with. Mm. And he would be real about it, at least to his friends. And also in public, actually, he's very real about it. He, especially if you're at an event, mm-hmm. uh, he's very open about what are the areas that he's working on and what are the things that he would love to get more better at and mm-hmm. so forth. And that's what I love about him is that he's very much centered around that. And he appreciates his quirks. Because he's mm-hmm. like every all of us, he's a quirky guy. Like there are certain things that is weird about him that yeah. you would go, what? What was that? But he loves it about him. He really presents it in the way where he's like, this is who I am. And that's what you get. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's not apologetic about it. He's unapologetic yeah. about who he is. And he is also very much always in a place of saying, oh, you meet me three months later, I'm a different person because I'm yeah. always learning and I'm always growing and I'm always trying to find the next version of me. And he's very comfortable with that. So those are things that I love about him. 
And that has helped you on stage because you have no problem sharing with your audience and and growing out loud, right? I think a lot of people think once you get to a certain stage, like you can't let people know what you're working on because now you have this persona and people look up to you. So Mm -hmm. what I hear you sharing about Vision, and I'm going to assume also for you, is that like it's okay to share what you're working on out loud. You don't need to paint this picture that you're this like Superman and you've arrived, right? It's it's actually very healing, not only for yourself, but also for your audience. Like, hey, this is what I'm working on and just being willing to grow out loud. And do you find that that permission has helped you as a speaker to be more vulnerable with your audience? I think so. I yeah. think so. We've never explicitly talked about it that way. So mm-hmm. it may be subconscious to me that I've seen him be mm-hmm. unap- unapologetic and so I am unapologetic. So it's definitely possible. I was just talking about generally what I love and appreciate about him. I think also what has directly impacted me is a story that I tell, uh, and that's a really powerful story. It was the time when I just started at Mind Valley. It was my first week at Mind Valley. It was December 2008. So that's how <laughs> long I've known Vision and worked with him. And December 2008, I was hired to be an intern in Mind Valley to work under what used to be called business managers. We had different websites, and every website was considered a business. And there used to be a business manager and a project manager working. So I was hired as a project manager, interning project manager. To basically, my job was to build web pages using this custom software Mind Valley mm-hmm. had. Um, and so I was hired into this position. And about two weeks into my job, or first week into my job, I was told the business manager is going to be stepping down as a project manager and you will be made the business manager. Oh, wow. Because of something that happened with that person. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. we are going to do that. So sure. I was like, all right. And this is like my first or second week. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, I was months into it. I was a mm-hmm. high performer. And so I was given this opportunity. It was just basically the person that had the opportunity messed up so much that they said, I'd rather put an intern on this position than have this person have this position. Or I don't know, maybe intuitively they knew I was just a genius. Yeah, Uh, which you are. You are a genius. (laughs) So so what happened is uh, we were doing, this is December 2008. So everybody goes away on holidays Mm on Mine Valley, especially around at that time, at least during Christmas, because everybody from like Mine Valley has a huge set of people coming from different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So there was like, 20 or 10 countries at that time. So people went back to their countries and they were celebrating Christmas with their families. So I was this idiot who arrived in December and was just alone <laughs> in his, in his I, my house wasn't even there at that time. It's so ridiculous because I came in at a time where they were like, well, the person that manages the houses is on a break. <laughs> so you get to sleep on this couch in somebody's house for like three weeks or four weeks before we can find a house for you. So I am sleeping on this couch, basically passing my time with the two people that were still left in town, uh, not knowing what to do. Mm. So January comes around. It's end of January. I'm supposedly doing the business manager work. There's that review that happens every month. They're looking at numbers and they go, well, Ajit, the business that you manage is about $100,000 short in revenue in the month of January. Well, how do you explain that? I was like, I don't know how to explain that. I just joined this team. I'm even trying to figure out what is this business. I have no idea. I like nobody's given me any. There's no instruction manual. Nobody's saying, hey, do this. I'm sleeping on a couch. I like <laughs> I I figured out I'm hundred thousand dollars short because you told me right now. Like I got no clue what's happening here. So so he goes, well, it doesn't matter. You had a hundred thousand dollars short. So next month you have to find a way to make a hundred thousand dollars extra wow. than the revenue goal that you have. Mm-hmm. Right. So the goal is whatever and make a hundred thousand dollars more. <laughs> oh, like good luck with that because I have no <laughs> idea. And this is me new into marketing, even like marketing online. I had no idea until then. I had like I had never actually. That was the reason why I joined Mind Valley to learn that thing, I learned the skill of marketing online. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do. And so I started talking to people in the office. I'm like, bro, like I've got, bro, gal, I've got this problem. I need to generate this extra cash. I have no idea what to do. Can you help me? There was one wonderful soul. He was really smart, really, really smart guy. His name is Juan from Argentina and Argentina. Uh, and he said, dude, here's a stack of DVDs mm-hmm. that I want you to watch. This is basically marketing material. Mm-hmm. and find a few ideas and then let me know and maybe we can run one of these ideas mm-hmm. as a campaign and that will help you recover this cash. So like, okay. So mm-hmm. I, it was a stack of DVDs. That I used to basically go from office and then basically pack. I It was broke as shit. I was an, an intern at the time. So we would eat this thing called Maggie Goreng mm-hmm. and all my Malaysian friends would know this and Maggie is very popular in India as well. So everybody that's in India or Singaporeans would know this. Maggie Goreng is basically... 
fried noodles with vegetables that are spicy. Yeah. It's amazing and it's unhealthy as shit. Yeah. <laughs> so what I would do on the way back is I would stop at these restaurants that are called Mamak's. <laughs> they're these street renders, basically. And I would pack a Maggie Goreng and mm-hmm. I would go home. And from 6 till 12 every night, I would sit in front of a computer and watch these DVDs, watching marketing material on people training on how to do marketing and so on and so forth. And I did that for like all of the first and like about 10 days in total because it was that much content I was given to actually watch. Six hours every day for 10 days. 60 hours of training done in like 10 days, right? Apart from doing my job every day, right? So on the 10th day, I go to Juan. I said, Juan, I found this one campaign. I think it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Here's what the campaign is. What do you think? He was like, I don't know if it's going to make you $100,000, but well, you have nothing and you've got 20 days. This is February, right? Because January, I've given the target 28 days in February. I've Mm -hmm. got 18 days to really make the money. So he's like, you have like 18 days or two weeks. So you have to run something. So let's run this campaign. Let's write this campaign, run this campaign. Here's your copywriter. Here's how to do things, how to Mm -hmm. send an email. Like I had no idea what I was doing. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And I helped write that campaign with the copywriter, deployed the campaign. We made $100,000. Wow, congratulations. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Uh, Great news, right? End of the month, I'm going, hey, job saved. Mm -hmm. I made the $100,000. And this is what was the moment of truth. And that's what changed how I look at life. Mm -hmm. Vision said, I said, do you know that nobody in the history of this company has ever made $100,000 in the campaign? Wow. So I'm an intern. And this, this is why this is insane to understand once you understand this. Is that everything is so made up that if I was given the goal of $100,000 without the context of nobody has ever done this, I thought it was totally possible. All I had to do mm-hmm. was to come up with a strategy, deploy it, and it will make the money. If somebody had told me, oh, nobody's ever done this, what Vision's asking you to do, I am somewhat certain that I would not have achieved the goal. Right. Right. So all of the goals, all of the ideas, all of the realities that the world tells you is all made up. And that was one of the most powerful things that I've learned through this example and the story is that everything that is around us is made up. Every belief you have is made up. It's not actually true. Because the universal truth is unknown. Scientists don't know it. Philosophers don't know it. Psychologists don't know it. Biologists don't know it. And that's why all of them are in discovery. That's why science has evolved. Psychology has evolved. Philosophy has evolved. Biology has evolved. Mm -hmm. All of our understanding evolves every couple of years. And so anybody that tells you anything that is not possible is a story they have because somebody told them that story. Mm -hmm. It's not true. It also means that you can believe anything and it can come true, Mm -hmm. right? That's how much power is there in human consciousness because somebody just told me make $100,000 and I had no point of reference, I could make $100,000. If somebody tells you make a million dollars and you have no point of reference, you don't go, oh, but somebody else couldn't do it. Or, you know, that person says you can't do it so fast or so slow, including myself. It's made up. Mm -hmm. It's not true. So we don't have to believe it. We can simply go, what is it that I want to believe? I want to believe this, I'm going to chase it. That's it. Let's see. I mean, and timeline, suspend the timeline because timeline is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. And you can't really project what the universe Mm -hmm. is going to do and what all needs to come in place for that. Like, for example, I could make that $100,000 because universe said he's going to need Juan to tell him to watch those DVDs. And then it will take his personal grit, which he's built over years to say, I'm going to watch this bloody thing for six hours every single day. Boring as hell, by the way, because a lot of marketers are not good presenters. They're terrible, actually. Now, everybody's not like Gary Vaynerchuk. They can entertain you, Mm -hmm. right? So boring as shit slide decks that I'm watching for six hours every single day. That was my grid that was developed years in advance right. for me to be able to go, oh, no, I'm going to sit through this because I'm going to make this work, right? It had to, all of that had to come together for that never before number that mm-hmm. was hit in that company until that time. Okay, Ajit, such great advice on how to start your speaking journey and just the mindset that it takes, the practices. And also, thank you so much for sharing that story about just that resilience and grit and not allowing, like never having accomplished something before, like, uh, you know, uh, creating 100,000 in revenue, just sharing that story because I want people to really hear the amount of work and dedication it takes, right? Like you weren't born this way. You were groomed to become this person and it's possible 
for anybody. It is possible for anybody. So I would love to segue into giving some great advice to coaches, people who really want to pursue this journey about, you know, getting on stage, impacting as many people as they can through their story, through their storytelling. So let's just say a new coach comes to you, right? And they're sharing this beautiful vision of like, Ajit, I really want to sell a lot of books. I want to to share my story. I have so much wisdom that I want to share. And I want to get on stage and I want to be invited to speak on stage. And they're sharing this vision with you, right? What are your practical steps that you would offer to somebody who wants to be on this journey. And honestly, be like you. Like, I don't, and I don't mean be like you, but have the life be that the you version of themselves. Yeah, you're the kind of person that gets off stage. I remember Nita was saying this. She's saying so many people wanted to hug you. They wanted to take photos with you. Like you have touched so many people's lives. And I think we all have that deep yearning to be able to impact people in that way, right? So what would be your advice for people wanting to start on this journey or continue on this journey? So one thing that we must all understand is we are all infinite potentials and infinite universe. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to believe that you can't have the big vision. You can't have the Mm -hmm. big dream. And what advice I'm going to give you kind of originates from the idea of the Big Bang, Mm -hmm. right? So the theory of Big Bang, which Mm -hmm. is, again, it's a theory, but the theory of Big Bang is the universe was just not there. Mm -hmm. It was a Big Bang that happened at this minute place because something was like taking off and it took off and then the universe kept expanding, 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 expanding and became this infinite self that is still expanding, all right? Mm -hmm. That's the theory of Big Bang, right? And that's kind of how you become your infinite universe as well, if you want to really think about it, right? You don't say, I want to be the universe. You're not going to arrive like that. You arrive at the Big Bang. And the Big Bang is your first big action or first action. Forget about the word big. First action, first bang that you would have, right? And that's to say, where do I start? Not where will I get to because you will get to all of it. Like how universe is ever expanding and still expanding. You will also get to your ever infinite potential. You will do a 10,000 person stage. If that's your potential, Mm -hmm. that's your desire. You're going to do a 100,000 people stage. Whatever that is, you will do all of it. You are an infinite potential and you are an infinite universe. But it must start with the small minute bang that needs to happen for the journey to get started. So what is it there where you can have the biggest bang so your journey can start? Right. So you ask yourself, hey, Hmm. I want to be this speaker that speaks to 10,000 people, right? You want to be that speaker? Mm -hmm. Let's start with one because that's where you start. That's the bang, Mm -hmm. right? Let's start with five. Let's start with 10. Let's see how this universe will keep expanding and creating these galaxies and all of that in the middle. What's the story that's going to get developed, which will become the solar system? What is the other story that's going to develop that will be a star in this universe, right? So you're finding along the journey of expansion, All these creations that are getting created as you expand your potential. But you need to start with that one bang. So find that one bang. And that one bang will be one stage, will be one online presentation, offline presentation. Could be just you presenting to yourself. Could be you booking a venue and nobody's showing up, but you're still making that presentation. It could be your first Instagram live. It could be your first reel. It could be anything. That's where the bang starts. And then you discover from it. You expand from it. You go, okay, What's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? And as you're expanding as the next thing, you must remember, it's not empty universe that we're expanding because then it's going to be boring as hell. You got to build the solar system. You got to build a star. You got to build these other galaxies, which means this story that you have, this niche that you would work in, this type of audience that you will really resonate with, find those different pieces that makes your universe interesting. Mm -hmm. Because when your universe becomes interesting, as it expands, it expands faster. It has more juice in it. It has more charisma in it. It has more confidence in it. It has more availability of presence in it. More just availability of the universe itself in it. Mm -hmm. Because you started by starting somewhere and expanding through as if you're expanding a universe. So for a new coach, really to ask yourself is what's your first step? What's Mm -hmm. your first step? And that first step could be anything. It could be booking a stage. It could be booking an online presentation. It could be making a reel on Instagram. It could be doing an Instagram live. It could be anything because that will start your journey. That will show you if you're present to it. It'll show you what are your fears that come up? Where do you fall? Where do you lose engagement? Where is it that somebody was actually interested? Where were people commenting back? Mm -hmm. So start anywhere and look for those feedback systems for you to find your authentic version. Like I said, we all think we are very authentic the day we start. We're not. We're concerned. We are fearful. Mm -hmm. We are sure. We want to be feeling loved and, and accepted and so forth. You have to suspend all of that to actually be authentic. You can't feel, 
I want to be accepted and be authentic. It's not going to work. Because that's getting in the way of you it's being authentic. authentic. Yeah, because you're thinking, oh, I'm going to just yeah. you know, change this a little bit. I'm not going to say this word because, you know, wow. it's not, I'm not going to be accepted if I did this. Instead of, no, that's just, if that's true, that's true for me. Mm-hmm. And that's how I'm going to show up and that's it. I really love the best step. Like I always say, take the next best step. I also love saying it's the bold move, right? Mm -hmm. What's the bold move? And the bold move doesn't have to be a big move. I didn't say big move. I said bold move. And so for some people, a bold move, like I know when I work with people on their camera confidence, getting on IG live for them, doing an Instagram live is a huge deal for them. It is huge to be able to get on live and maybe no one shows up. But that's why I love that you said, you know, even if you have to book a venue and no one shows up and you're just speaking, that's still a bold move. Yeah. Put your phone on and say, I'm going to go live while nobody's in the audience, but I'm going to speak as if I'm speaking in front of audience. Absolutely okay. Whatever is the bold move, whatever is the first bang, as as we talked about. I love the first bang. Okay. So what advice would you give to people who truly are and do consider themselves introverts? Like, people who are introverted and they want to pursue a speaking career. So if, if you're an introvert or you believe you're introvert or you're introverted as a person and you want to have a speaking career, here is a simple thing that you should learn today that will tell you that you're going to crush it as a speaker. Mm. Traditional understanding of an introvert, it's a reflective person. Mm-hmm. Right? They tend to want to sit by themselves and reflect on their life, mm-hmm. read, consume content. Everything is very personal and private. Not personal, but private. Mm -hmm. And they reflect in privacy, right? An extrovert tends to have the same reflection, but they would like to talk it out with someone, right? That tends to be an extrovert, right? Mm -hmm. Because an introvert is so personally reflective as a person, they tend to have more opportunity Mm -hmm. to actually process a thought a lot more deeper than an extrovert. Because Mm -hmm. an extrovert needs somebody to talk it out with. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, if you don't have a person you haven't fully talked it out, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't have a good person to talk to, then. you haven't had a chance to really reflect, mm-hmm. right? Well, an introvert doesn't need the tool of talking to someone, right? Which is why an introvert actually is a great presenter mm-hmm. because they have reflected on that thought so much and so deeply that they're really clear about what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. And that allows them to be incredibly reflective even before they go on a stage or mm-hmm. they go on a pre- go and give a presentation. They can almost design their presentation without even speaking to anyone, right? Wow. So actually an introvert is a more powerful speaker and tends to be a more powerful speaker. For that matter, you'll find most really powerful speakers are introverted as personalities. Mm-hmm. They actually like to run away from stage <laughs> whenever they are off stage, right? Right. Which is not good as a presenter because why did you present if you want to run away from people? But sure, that's at least the story that they tell themselves. is like, oh, I'm introverted, so I need to go find my cocoon mm-hmm. now or go in my room and order a glass or whatever because, you know, I've done my job and I'm depleted, mm-hmm. right? That's the story that an introvert tells themselves and believes it as well. But that's why you are a powerful speaker mm-hmm. because you know exactly, you have reflected on it so hard and so deep that you actually will land really well with the audience and everything is very prepared mm-hmm. for an introvert or tends to be really prepared. Because again, they have spent so much time by themselves thinking about it, mm-hmm. right? Um, last question for you. Who is this journey for, this dream of being a speaker? Because we know that when you get on stage, it can vastly improve your business no matter what industry you're in. So who would you say speaking is for? Speaking is for anyone, really. Because yeah. at any given time, you are communicating. This podcast is communication. Mm-hmm. Your speaking skills is going to help you be mm-hmm. a better podcast interviewee or interviewer, right? Mm-hmm. You're a great speaker, which is why you ask great questions. You communicate really well. That's why we land so well, mm-hmm. which is why I'm like, hey, let's just get Wasby to do these interviews with me, right? Yeah. Because you are a great speaker yourself. Thank you. Right? And the better I get as a speaker, the more engaging this podcast is. Mm -hmm. So you could be doing podcasts. You could be doing coaching. You could be presenting to a small group. You could be presenting to a large group. You could be a parent. If your communication skills are better, your kid's going to engage with you better. Mm -hmm. Right? You could be a partner in relationship with someone. If your communication skills, your speaking skills are better, your partner is going to understand you better. Mm -hmm. Communication, speaking is not just for the stage. Communication and speaking is for everyday life. And if you become a more impactful speaker, a better storyteller, 
anybody and anything in your life is going to be more engaging. Yeah. We as human beings love stories. That's why we love movies. We like books. We like all these different things. We engage. We love podcasts. The reason why you love listening to podcasts is because people are telling you stories and everybody loves a good mm -hmm. story. And storytelling, speaking of nothing but storytelling mm -hmm. at a grand scheme of things, mm -hmm. right? But if you have the skill of speaking, honestly, speaking is also the art of learning when to draw a boundary, mm -hmm. how to finish something, how to start something. And all of that stuff is useful in day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. Everybody should know this art of speaking. Mm -hmm. Everybody should at least make an attempt to learn the art of speaking. Every mm -hmm. kid should learn how to speak. Not because they need to be on big stages or small stages. That doesn't matter. To live a better life, mm -hmm. you need to learn the art of speaking. Do you think anyone in any industry, it doesn't matter, would their business improve if they decided to pursue public speaking? If you have a business, you would be greatly benefited mm -hmm. if you learned how to speak in public. Because when you're presenting an offer, mm -hmm. when you're communicating to a client, when, I, when you're coaching a client, if you know how to tone yourself, how to pace yourself, mm -hmm. how to tell a story, when to pause, when not to pause, when to go fast, when to increase your voice, when to bring your voice mm -hmm. lower, all of that impacts enrollment. All of that impacts your connection with the, with the person. Mm -hmm. All of that impacts how many people will refer you. All of that is impacted. So yes, your business will a thousand percent grow. If you become a better speaker, if you become a more confident, more charismatic speaker, if you can tell better stories, if you can connect the dots more easily, if you can be more succinct. Mm -hmm. Here's one of the biggest problems coaches have. Mm -hmm. They ramble. They talk way too damn much. Yeah, they ramble. <laughs> they go into tangents that have nothing to do with the conversation yeah. that is at hand. And because they ramble, the person goes, hold on, but we were talking about this. Mm -hmm. Why are you in this other place mm -hmm. that we never really, uh, that, no, that we were never supposed to go? Mm -hmm. So the act of you rambling is because you've never dedicated time and effort into learning how to speak. Yeah. If you put a little bit of effort in how to speak, you'll find you will not ramble. Mm -hmm. You'll stick to the point. You know when the conversation's over. Mm -hmm. You know when you need to start telling a story, when you need to stop telling a story. Even the art of rambling, like, so we had the Swamiji that we used to follow, Swami Dayananda Saraswati. He's in, he's in Sailorsburg, Pennsylvania. He has an ashram. I used to love how our Swamiji used to tell stories because he would start here, he would ramble, he would go off, but he would always come back to his point. So like, mm -hmm. I just want everyone to know that because I, I work with a lot of people who are like, oh, I talk too much. Like they'll say this about themselves. I'm too chatty, I'm too this. I go, listen, just have an intention. Like know your anchor points when you're yeah. speaking. But between your anchor points, you can ramble. And what that really means is allow God to move through you. Just riff, it'll come, but yeah. come back to your anchor. It's just a skill. Yeah, but that's storytelling, right? Yeah. You go from a point to another point. It's like watching a good comic. Yeah. Like there's a new special of Trevor Noah mm -hmm. on uh, Netflix. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget the name of the actual uh, special, but he talks about this idea and I don't remember, it's in German. It basically, he introduces a word in the starting of his act where he talks about this idea, which is basically the joy of seeing somebody else's pain. There's a German word for it. There's no translation of it. I do not remember the word itself, but the word itself is what the hook, like he talks about this word somewhere in the starting of the act. And then the word disappears, right? And then he's going into these different tangents mm -hmm. and different stories. But at the end of it, the final story, it ends with somebody laughing at his pain and he introduces that word again. Mm -hmm. So you think a ramble is a ramble. It's not a ramble. Mm -mm. It's storytelling. Storytelling doesn't mean it is a to B to C. Mm -hmm. It means A will lead back to A somehow. Yes. Right? And it will all make sense in the end. And it doesn't have to make sense when it's actually happening because the person's already engaged in A. They're like, tell me the finish line of A. But if you never get back to A, they are out of, they're in an open loop. They're going, oh, but the, A, the, that thing, like, why Why did I, why did we start that? Yeah. Like, that's great storytelling. Look to stand-up comedians, best storytellers. Yes. Hasan Minhaj also. He Hasan Minhaj is amazing. I was watching his last documentary. I was actually talking about this with Nita. And I'm like, I... Special. I, his, yeah. his, his special, yeah. And the I was like... King's Jester, so it, good. It was so good. I was like, I'm hysterically crying. And then literally a minute later, I'm laughing. And I'm yeah. like, this is what I love because he's taken me through like... I'm like crying because he's talking about his kids and it's so moving. And then I'm like laughing because he's like making fun of his wife. And it's just beautiful to be able to evoke that type of emotion from your audience. I know I said it was the last question, but final last question. What would be the like your favorite resource for any new speaker or even seasoned speaker? Like, oh, you need to learn from this person or you need to read this book or you need to you know, join this group or whatever. Who is a resource that you'd like to offer to speakers? I to think you have a course on this, isn't it? On speaking? Yeah. On speaking, I do something called camera confidence, which is to help people feel more confident on camera, which is really all about you 
doing the things that you need to do off camera, right? It's no. all the things that you were talking about. To, to feel confident on camera, it's just hours under your belt. I was actually sharing this with a mutual friend of ours, Katie. She asked me, she's like, how are you so good on camera? And I go, listen, like she's great at lifting weights. I go, you've been doing this for years. So it's just like a no brainer. I go, you have to understand since the age of two, my father would follow me around with the camera. He'd go, he'd be watchy, look at the camera. So I was used to being like, as soon as there's a camera, I'm not shy. That's the way I showed my dad. Like, yeah. I love you and you love me, right? So it's just hours under your belt. And that's what I want anyone to know. Like, if you want to do this, if you want to get on camera, it's not like you don't have issues with your personality. It's not that you suck. It's not that you're boring. Maybe you are and you need to take courses on charisma, but it's also just having hours under your belt and it's practicing and having more of these conversations. Absolutely. So yeah. so one of the ways that you can learn is probably take that course. If yeah. it's available, we'll hook up below in the show notes that you yeah. can go and take Waspi's course called Camera Confidence. Mm-hmm. If you're a Mind Valley member, you can we have a course from Lisa Nichols and maybe one more author that is around uh, speaking. Mm-hmm. So you can absolutely take that. If you're an Evercoach member, we have a course from a gentleman called Sam Cawthorn, who's mm-hmm. also a speaker uh, that is available in that membership. There's tons of material mm-hmm. online that you could take that would teach you how to be better at speaking and at storytelling. But you got to learn storytelling and speaking at the same time because storytelling is the backbone of great speakers. Mm-hmm. If you can tell a great story, you'll become a great speaker. So if, learn how to tell stories. And if you can basically make sense out of your own life, right? That's what this is about is take a look at your own life, look at the stories that have shaped you and your job is to extract the gold from it, right? Because I mean, Lisa Nichols, who was, who was my first mentor, I still I still text her when I need her. I'm like, Lisa, I need to talk to you about this. It's like, she always said this, you could either tell your story by being in your story or on your story. And she taught us how to really be proud of what we've been through. So when we're sharing our story, we're not in it, right? We're not in it swimming in all the unresolved issues. We are standing on top of it and saying, this is this is who I am. This is what has shaped me to become the person that I am today. So standing on your story versus standing in your story. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, that's storytelling. Oh,